0: Welcome to All
1: Things Beer, a Pat's Pints, Mark's Mugs podcast. I'm Pat Woodward. And I'm Mark Richards. Each month, we are joined by brewers, enthusiasts, and friends to explore the techniques, the culture, and the history of mankind's best invention.
0: So grab the beer and join us as we discover a world of all things beer. Oh boy, I could just listen to that song all day long. So good, so good. In a big country, from big country. Speaking of countries, we're heading back across the
1: pond. We're moving north from England, right? Crossing over Hadrian's Wall and going up to Scotland. And we're going to talk about Scottish ales and Scotland in general in this episode. We have a fantastic guest who is known here locally for his
0: Scottish ale, Angelo Signorino. Happy to be here guys. Be wonderful to have you in
1: the recording studio. Well, I think to kick it off, we're going to talk about the naming convention that's used for Scottish beers, right? We we're talking about bitters, we learned that going from low to high strength, you went from the ordinary bitter to the best bitter to the strong or extra special bitter. And so, what is the naming convention used for the Scottish beers? Well, it
0: steps up as well. And it starts with the 60 shilling, the 70 shilling, and the 80. And that would be the Scottish light ale, Scottish heavy, and the Scottish Export With the 60 shillings starting at 2.5 to 3.3 ABV
1: Now, I'm going to have to Interrupt here for a minute because You gentlemen have already started your Beer drinking experience But well, uh, I saved mine for the mic uh, We didn't come here just to look pretty, did we, Angelo?
2: <laughs> Speak for yourself
0: <laughs> Oh, a bit of nitrogen in there
1: Handsome pint. Yes, indeed. We are drinking a Belhaven Scottish Ale.
0: Now, this would rank as an 80 shilling, which would be the Scottish
1: export. How would one tell the difference between a 60 shilling and an 80 shilling beer?
2: As I understand it, the different shilling levels aren't exactly correspondent with ABV or gravity. It's just relative. I, I don't think there's any hard and fast rules.
1: So just be a brewery might say, this is our lightest offering. This is a stronger offering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the BJCP gets involved.
2: Well, they just, I think they lumped it together.
1: Well, the BJCP actually does put it all, but there are Mm subcategories, I think, for those. And according to BJCP guidelines, let's remember they're just guidelines. The Scottish light ale is 2.5 to 3.3% ABV. The Scottish heavy, or 70 shilling, is 3.3 to 3.9, and the strongest one, the 80 shilling Scottish export, is 3.9 to 6. And that would be what we're drinking here with the Bellhaven,
0: coming in at 5.2% ABV, fits in that range, and you know, it is
1: rich, nutty, and smooth, Pat, would you say? Yeah, I just had my first sip. I mean, as you could have told from the sound of the can opening, this is the sort of draft system that Guinness came up with, with the widget in there. And, and I guess there's probably some carbon dioxide and nitrogen, mm-hmm. which always gives a really a smooth a smooth beer, I think. Yeah.
2: I always thought it, it was an attempt to approximate the texture of cask ale in a package. Certainly, the cascading bubbles as you pour it is an approximation of cascade. Yeah. It oh, yeah. Looks like it's that.
0: very attractive. That would be in appearance of if we had the sparkler on, and we'll learn a lot more about that when we get into
1: cascades later. Right. That's going to be an episode coming in the new year, and is going to come back for that one kindly. My pleasure again. Now, what exactly is a shilling, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's an ancient uh, monetary uh, unit. Mm-hmm. An outdated one. Yeah, I think a shilling, there's 20 shillings in, in a, a pound. pound, which would make a shilling a equivalent <laughs> of a nickel. Yeah, and then uh, there's 12 pence in a shilling, which is kind of weird. But I guess maybe a long time ago, I think they used to take coins and cut them up into smaller pieces. And I guess 12 is as small as they could cut it. It would okay. take a
2: lot of pence to buy uh, Bellhaven Scottish ale these days, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: But if you think about it, so 80 shillings, that's what we're drinking, an 80-shilling beer, that would be four pounds? hmm That'd be kind of expensive for a beer back in the olden yeah. days, wouldn't it? Uh, what's the logic of that? They needed revenue, as I understand it. They taxed the beer based on the original gravity, and the price would certainly reflect the tax.
0: Yeah, that would make sense.
1: Yeah, and the other thing is, that wasn't the price per pint. It was the price per hogshead. So they That's would just different. fill a hogshead full of beer. <laughs> this was before glassware, Pat. This raises another question. I'd rather have a butt. <laughs> <laughs> Angela knows what a hogshead is, don't yeah. you? Yeah. You're Angela? trying to
0: get my smoker away from me yesterday. <laughs>
1: What's the difference between a hogshead and a butt? I don't, t- I'm sorry. I think that a butt is bigger. <laughs> I think that could be, I don't know, a hogshead is 54 gallons. Okay. So a hogshead, I think it's a is, barrel, is essentially. something like two barrels. Well, uh, bourbon barrels are 53.9. Oh, nine. yeah. Right. So it would be the equivalent of, yeah, the old style barrels that bourbon come in. So back in the day, 80 shillings, four pounds would have gotten you a barrel of beer, a big barrel of beer. But I think that system persisted well into the 20th century, actually. So, it sounds really old, but I think, I can't remember now, but mid-20th century somewhere, then the English moved away from that. Well, I guess another question is, if we were to compare Scottish ales to English ales, what would you say are the similarities and what are the differences?
2: The way that I often explain the difference just between the north and south of England is that hops grow in the south of England, grain not so well. The further north you go, the better grain, barley grows, and especially the southern part of Scotland grows barley that's really well-suited to beer. The northern part of Scotland's barley is more well-suited to being made into whiskey. And you'll find that that's reflected in the different ways that they preserve the barley in the different mm. parts of the country. Oh, that's interesting.
1: Do you know what the differences in the barley would be between whiskey barley and beer barley?
2: I don't know if it has something to do with modification ability and enzymatic activity. I could only speculate. I didn't dig that deep. Sure, And sure. interestingly, my original source for beer knowledge was Michael Jackson's first book, which I picked up in the yeah. 80s. And I dug it out. I knew exactly where it was and went to the page devoted to Scottish ales, and in my youth, I wisely ripped that page out and took it somewhere. If
0: only you could find that pair of pants. And huh? I don't
1: think I'll be able to replace yeah. that book. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, that doesn't happen with an e-textbook. It, right? yeah. Yeah. We yeah. didn't have
2: those back then. Of course. Of course.
1: <laughs> well, speaking of books, I reached out to my friend Duncan McKay. Who is a Scotsman. He lives in Glasgow. And I asked him what he would say is the difference between Scottish and English beer. And he directed me to a book. Uh, let me get, I wrote it down here. The, the little history of Scottish brewing by John Alexander. Mm. And in the introduction, he goes over this a little bit and, and basically he touched on three points. One of them you already hit, Angelo, that especially in the latter half of the 20th century, Scottish beers were less hoppy definitely less hoppy than English beers. But the other differences would be, A, um, for whatever reason, in Scotland, they tended to mash at higher temperatures, and so they had a less fermentable wort, and that would leave a higher finishing gravities and therefore more body. And they fermented at cooler temperatures. I think, in general, you would not get a lot of yeast character in a Scottish shale, not as much as you would in a Brit- in an English ale. There's
2: not a whole lot of estuary fruitiness in this beer, that's for sure. No, yeah, how would you guys not.
1: describe the flavor
2: of this Bellhaven? I was trying to read the date on the bottom, mm-hmm. just... For curiosity's sake, because it is freshness dated, July 31st, 24 is best by date. So yeah, that's, that's pretty, not bad. But they're not worried about hops fading, obviously. Sure. It doesn't indicate when it was brewed, but when a beer's packaged and sent across the pond, it's not yeah. the same thing as it is when you get it sure. anywhere near the brewery. I really like the nuttiness, the, the toastiness. I get a hint of, and I hate to say it, cheese. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> it's not off-putting. Yeah. But what kind of it, cheese? It, it's uh, uh, like a, a creamy, mm-hmm. almost brie-like. Mm. And I it, can it's, see that, and that's it, a very nutty cheese. It, it's not off-putting <laughs> at all, but it's not yeah. something you encounter very often. And that could be
1: intentional, or it could just be that it's traveled. Mm-hmm. As we will find on these Scottish beers, it's really kind of all about the malts, All right, so that there isn't hardly any yeast character that I'm detecting and also the hop flavor doesn't come through but it's usually negligible mm-hmm. you know nutty is a good word for it there's a kind of a underlying toffee note to it i would say yeah butterscotch maybe sure. a little bit of butterscotch yeah. in there I yeah. see that. and that's not i don't think that's a, a terrible fly it's just a hint mm-hmm. and while it is malty it's balanced mm. sure it's not cloying no it's not sweet at all very quaffable. And you know, that's something that's really great about this style of beer, that you can have a lot of malt flavor in a beer that is not cloying, not too sweet. You can drink pint after pint if you so choose, and also oftentimes at an ABV level that would allow you to do that.
0: Now it says here on a can, Belhaven was established in
1: seventeen nineteen. They do claim to be Scotland's oldest continually operating brewery. It's on the East Coast. When I was living over there, multiple occasions, I would take the train up from, say, Durham or Newcastle up to Edinburgh. Yeah. And this is the last stop before you get to Edinburgh. So, it's about 25, 30 miles from Edinburgh. Okay. And I think they were bought by, yes, I think in maybe 2006 or something like that, they were bought by Green King. Green King is another British brewery that owns a lot of pubs and does, you know, British-style ales. And then I think, well... Keeping track of these things in the brewing industry is pretty hard. But I think Green King then was bought by some Asian property group <laughs> in 2019 or something like that. So, but I will say when you go to Scotland, if you go to pubs, you'll see Bellhaven on it in a lot of places. And so kind of like Green King, which is also ubiquitous in, in many English pubs, you'll find a Bellhaven in many Scottish pubs, but not this beer. You would find uh, the best which is going to be more like in the 3% range somewhere. Well, Angelo, you have also brought us a
0: Scottish Ale today from Barley's. I must empty my glass before I start pouring it up. Take our time. Well, now that we've got our beers all sorted out and we have some of Barley's Scottish Ale... Barley's Brewing here in town, has been here for years
2: and years, since 1992. However, we didn't start brewing this beer until 1993. Okay. I'd been assistant brewer for a good year, and I had my eye on this beer that was completely uh, inspired by a beer that I haven't seen in years from Caledonian Brewery. Okay, I remember that. Edinburgh, them. right? I think it's East, but I could be wrong. I haven't been there. They made a beer that they packaged for the United States that they called McAndrews. It had a little Scotty dog on the label. And back then, Ohio's liquor laws only allowed 6% alcohol by weight, which is 7.6 by volume. And that beer was 8%, which I don't know how they snuck it past (laughs) the Department of Liquor Control. Back then, it was hard to find out information specific to beers like that, but the one thing that I read was that they used a gas-fired kettle, and that gas-fired kettle gave the beer caramelly, toasty qualities. We'd been open about a year. That summer, our first full summer operating, we had made a wheat beer with our house yeast and the... Brewmaster Scott Francis, pioneer, legendary brewmaster, liked the wheat beer more than our Pilsner-style ale that we had in the spring and winter before and didn't want to get rid of it. The owner at Barley's at the time that was passionate about beer and more involved in the operation wanted to switch the beer menu from wheat beer to Pilsner. And I saw an opening and said to Scott, I think that what Lenny really wants is a change in the beer menu. And I think we should make this new beer. I want to make a Scottish ale. I want to turn on the brew kettle when it's empty and send about 10% of the first wort into the kettle and scorch it for a half an hour. Scott said, you want to do what? (laughs) Okay. Yeah, (laughs) And I said, and let's call it McLennie's and name it after the owner that wanted
0: (laughs) the change in the menu to pacify him. Knowing Lenny, I doubt he
2: protested much. (laughs) So it was nerve wracking the first time we brewed it. We use all British malt, and a couple, maybe two and a half, three years ago, we started using Warminster floor malt, malted barley that isn't put in a drum while it's malting. Okay. It's on the floor of the malt house, and people drag rakes over it to turn it.
1: I've seen pictures of that. Yeah, It's a very
2: traditional way to make malted barley, and it's not cheap. But it's lovely
1: malt. Now, Angelo, does that malt come from the UK? Yes, yeah, yes, okay. Warminster
2: Maltings.
1: It's it's lovely malt. And when when I unload
2: it, like I, I enjoy getting the grain from the curb into the brewery myself and get caught covered in that lovely malt flour, it reminds me so much of what malt is. And the best explanation of malt flavor, I was lucky enough to get from Michael Jackson. In 1998, I got to judge beer with him at the National Cascale Competition. Oh, wow. wow. What an honor. And uh, he was trying to explain to somebody at our table that malt tastes like a chocolate chip cookie without chocolate chips. Wonderful.
1: And that is a beautiful descriptor. Well, I think with this beer, it really does have a great malt character. And, and that's a good way to put it. And But then the other thing that you need is then to finish dry, you know, in a way that's not cloying, that keeps you coming back, you know. You've been working on this one for a while, but well, you've totally perfected there are it. There's so
2: many things that make this beer unique. It's made with our house yeast. A yeast I started in my kitchen a couple months after we first started brewing this beer in December of 1993 in a batch of homebrew, stepped it up in my basement, took it to the brewery, stepped it up in a tank, and we've been using it ever since, taking it from tank to tank. And uh, it's one of the the qualities of this beer that I think make it stand out. It's a yeast that I am able to ferment at 60 degrees to keep with the cool fermentation that you were talking about for a beer like this, whereas if I'm making something like an IPA, I will go warmer to bring out the fruity esters, and that yeast does that nicely.
1: Now, what yeast was that? When it originally
2: started. came from Why Yeast. It was their 1968 ESB yeast, which I think everybody knows is from the yeah, Fuller's Brewery. The, yeah. Perfect.
1: That's an interesting way that you put it, to manipulate the yeast by you know controlling the fermentation temperature. And I have to say, this is a very clean ferment on this beer. I'm not picking up much in the way of esters here. On Friday, I talked to
2: an ex-employee who had, at the beginning of the pandemic, moved to Colorado, worked for, for some bi- big breweries, breweries that dump more true than Barley's makes. And yeah. he said, whenever he told somebody about Barley's yeast, he said, that's dumb. That's, that's the universal <laughs> response he got. And it it is probably not what the average brewer would think was a wise move. But knock on wood, it's it's treated us well. And I like to say I'm not married to this yeast, but we have a good thing going. I'm uh, <laughs> yeah. promiscuous in that I bring other yeast into the brewery throughout uh-huh. the year. I think I brought four or five different yeasts besides this one into the brewery, and they all behaved nicely. But this is the one that uh, is Barley's workhorse. Oh, yeah, that's great. Now, when you
0: do that kettle scorch with the 10% of your first runnings, um. Does, does that uh, scorch onto the kettle? Does that make that beer a little
2: harder to clean the kettle afterwards? The last batch of Scottish that we brewed, which we'll be putting on tap on Tuesday, was the first time that uh, Liam, who's been working with me for a little over a year, was there to scrub the kettle at okay. the end of the day. And he's like, "Yeah, that's a little bit more elbow grease than average." (laughs) (laughs) And I euphemistically call that scorch a skid mark.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now I can only imagine back in the day that Scott probably let you clean the
1: kettle after the scotch. Yeah, (laughs) that
2: kind of goes without saying. saying. I figured (laughs) so. (laughs) Maybe
1: not just on this beer too,
2: (laughs) but that I don't mind. Never trust a brewer that can't get in the kettle.
1: That's right. I looked up some homebrew recipes for Scottish ales, you know, in preparation for this podcast. And, of course, what would be more traditional in the modern sense would be to use some kinds of crystal malts. A little, of, malts little and, roast barley maybe. Yeah, a little roast mm-hmm. barley or maybe some kind of things like that, maybe a little bit of well, victory or something McAndrews like that. was pretty close to this
2: in color, and that was what I was shooting for. That was the template that I was shooting for. We couldn't go to 8%, but back then – it was, in 1993, a 6.6 by weight beer was a strong beer. Yeah. And when we first put it on tap and I'd bring my friends in, they'd go, it sticks to my lips. <laughs> 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 and it's cer- cer- we certainly have more viscous beer available these days. Yeah. But it, it at the time, it was uh, considered a thick one. <laughs> That's great. Now, this really,
0: according to BJCP, this would classify as a scotch ale, right?
1: I mean, Scott Scott this is barely, barely
0: over the line, yeah. you know But it's a wonderful Scottish ale And we're going to get to uh, actually hang out with uh, Brian Kimmel I believe he's coming by the studio in a bit Wearing his kilt
2: <laughs> If I knew Brian was coming, I would have brought some whiskey Oops <laughs> Wait a minute <laughs> Well, <laughs> You're lucky enough, Angelo That we, uh, we've we got
1: some for a sidecar here So if... Uh, Homebrewer wanted to replicate your style. I mean, in a sense, it seems like that would be pretty straightforward to Absolutely. do. Absolutely, um, but I might also point out that I think Michael Jackson wrote about this beer, and I think that the finishing line was "Do not try this at home." <laughs> right? Is that correct, Angela? I,
2: I was honored. He, he said it was uh, dangerous, and it, it, like the fact that he would even drank our beer is to me such an honor. But it really made an impression on him. Yeah, I mean, it kind of speaks to the fact that it's a really unique way that you make this beer. I hate to do this to you, Pat, but one of the things that um, Michael Jackson said when we were judging beers together was to another judge: "There's no quantifying unique. It's either unique or it's not." And I'm quoting Michael Jackson, so yeah. I, 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 I'm allowed. <laughs>
1: That is that is completely fair, Angelo. Right? People should respect the language. And when you say unique, it's kind of like being pregnant. You can't be a little bit unique. You can't be a little bit pregnant. You. It's either unique or not. But do you know any other brewery that makes uh, Scottish ale in this way? Well, the Caledonian Brewery, as okay. I said. Yeah.
2: yeah. And I, I, I don't know if they. I think they just do a long boil with a f- direct fire on their kettle and not the. Uh, but I,
1: this was a way to do it, like. Guaranteed without investing too much time. So, you heat it. How long do you heat up the bottom of the kettle before you put the war? About in? 10 minutes. Okay. And I leave enough water to cover the bottom so
2: that it's just like sizzling and then drain it out right before yeah. you send in that grant container, the grant receiver full of wort, and it's magnificent, and the smell is wonderful. It's like, you could get burnt by the steam sure. smelling sure. it, yeah. but it, it's a wonderful smell. That
0: I'll bet it goes in at quite a whoosh and
2: probably a lot of splattering. And our kettle at the beginning of craft Brewery's designs, and it's fairly level on the bottom, which means that it's really hard to drain at the end of the day, but it allows us to cover the bottom of the kettle with a thin, uh, a relatively small amount of wort, whereas I've worked at other breweries and tried to replicate this, and those breweries are thought more well thought out and have a good pitch on the bottom, and it would take substantially more wort to cover the whole bottom yeah. so that you wouldn't have to risk compromising the stainless
1: with just a flame on it and nothing else. Mm-hmm. So if I was going to try and replicate this on the homebrew scale in a, let's say in a 10 gallon kettle, uh how yeah. much beer would you put on the bottom and then how long would you it, it would uh, be the it? first wort and it would be
2: 10% a half a gallon. Yeah, a half a gallon in your kettle, I'm sure you can imagine is barely enough <laughs> yeah, to cover sure, it. Yeah, sure, sure. So yeah. you're making caramel essentially. We do it for half an hour. And it'd be fun to do it longer. But by the end of that half an hour, we get to the point where it's... There, there can't <laughs> be that much liquid <laughs> left it, at some point. It's pretty much yeah, caramel, yeah, yeah. and, and
1: uh, we don't want to make toffee. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it is a lovely beer. It's an honor to share it. I might just take a moment to give a shout-out to my friend Rick Arman, who wrote a book about 50 beers you must try in Ohio. And this was one of them. And I would I would put this in the top ten, actually. It, it, I miss Rick.
2: Well, Well, he's he's still around. He's not dead. He's not dead. dead. I I saw him
1: last uh, November, around about a year ago, but he is a busy guy. He's running two newspapers, so it keeps him busy. But the journalism industry.
2: He did as much to promote Ohio craft beer as any organization or individual ever did when when our uh, industry was just starting to grow.
1: Yeah. Yeah, a, a very important figure, really, yeah. Mark, you alluded to something else from Scotland uh, that we might finish this segment with. Oh, yeah, I did have some single malt
0: here, Angela. I know you're not going to object to that. (laughs) I actually have some, too. Ooh, a bonus,
1: Angelo. We'll have to get into these. Oftentimes in this podcast, we also like to venture into the world of music. And I'm actually sitting with two people who... I love music a lot, but I think you guys are even more... Musicologist than me and I so, was so
2: happy To run into Mark A few weeks ago That <laughs> was so much fun You guys oh. were at that What a good concert <laughs> Amblin the Sniffers She is All a treat fire.
0: Oh yeah She is on fire. fire buddy Australian uh, Punker really, Yeah yep. 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 She's great She's great The band's tight And, and it was uh, so much fun She dances around the stage Like a Like up. a kindergartner At recess A whirling dervish she's, Yeah She's got so much energy <laughs> Now and, i got a question uh, Great voice for punk
1: i got a question for you Angela Because we saw Courtney Barnett yeah, actually, yeah, she's uh-huh. Australian. As well. yeah, also oh, yeah. Australian, she's also great. a little bit in the punk vein, but yeah. mayb- maybe a little, uh, yeah, a, yeah, little toned down a little, yeah, tone <laughs> down a little bit. Yeah. Question for you: Do you have a favorite Scottish band?
2: I can't remember if I think My Bloody Valentine is from Ireland. Okay, yeah. But the year that Nirvana's "Smells Like Teen Spirit" album, what what was that called? Never mind. No, Never mind? mind. It was yeah. called Nevermind. Yeah. yeah. 1991, 92. Yeah. There was a band from Scotland called Teenage Fan Club. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. I remember the, them. Uh, they got all the record of the year awards that yeah, year instead that's of cool.
1: <laughs> <bond>. <laughs>
0: <And> <laughs> that's it right.
2: was a great record. I love them and I still buy their records. Oh, yeah. They, that's a way a good with, band. they sound different because their voices like ours are 40 years older. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but they, they, uh, they still do some great songs. Excellent.
1: Songwriting, excellent hooks, excellent catchiness. Yeah. I, I love Teenage Fan Club. Cool. Now I know your taste in music, Angelo, and here's another band that is Scottish that I think you might like would be the Jesus and Mary. Oh chain. yeah, they're oh, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. They're they're, 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 they're from Glasgow, I think. Yeah, that's a very good I've, seen them, I've uh, seen
0: them a few uh, times. I've seen them at the Newport, yeah, sure. in
2: Newport. Fantastic yeah. band. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I love their sound. I can just I can feel it in my chest right now. Oh
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> they really set a mood with and their I sound. I can hear don't the, they? Smoke and see <laughs> oh, yeah. the smoke
2: machines. Smoke machines. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Yeah. That's a great Jesus and Mary Chain's. Wonderful. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I'm oh. open to suggestions of Scottish bands that fall in those veins.
1: <laughs> I know this isn't your area of expertise, Angelo, but. Um, any idea of the differences in making the beer that's distilled for whiskey versus you know, making beer? In a st- it's not hopped, I assume. It's not hopped,
2: and it doesn't have to be remotely clean. All you want is as much alcohol as you get because the distillation process takes out all those esters or phenols, unless you have the phenols intentionally because <laughs> you're making a, <laughs> a, an Isle malt. <laughs> sure. But the yeast they use isn't yeast that's supposed to make delicious beer it's used that's supposed to make alcohol yeah it, it, i've had the honor of at a when i would get bourbon barrels from a distillery for the brewery of discreetly tasting the beer that we weren't supposed to touch okay <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's it's phenolic and unpleasant <laughs> yeah they probably ferment at a high temperature yeah, i they would imagine yeah, they don't get. Right? they don't have temperature controlled yeah, vessels yeah yeah they just want alcohol.
0: Well, this uh, Tim Navelin from Scotland, the double cask single malt whiskey. So it's it's a delightful.
2: They're delightful together. That was one of yeah, the first things mm. when in the early nineties, bourbon wasn't so much a thing. Really, mm-hmm. uh, Maker's Mark was like deluxe bourbon. Yeah, and uh, Scotch was the malted beverage of choice, the malted distilled beverage, distilled beverage, and it was so much fun to pair. Scottish Ale with different Scotch whiskeys. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I can see that. Well, they go <laughs> yeah. really well together, don't they? Um, and they almost share a color.
0: <laughs> well, not related to Scottish Ale by any means, but going back for the Dark Mild, we got to have Ryan Torres on, and uh, I didn't know that you guys worked together He's a at Barley's. Yeah, he, what a
2: super guy. He uh, he worked for me twice. He I don't know if he told you this much, but he helped at Barley's, and he was a godsend. And he and his wife moved to Chicago. His wife got a job there, and he was hoping to get a job at Lagunitas. Okay. But I don't think Ryan smokes enough pot to work at Lagunitas. <laughs> 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 so he ended up coming back to Columbus Okay, and working for me again. And when he got this position at Brew Brothers, Jason, our general manager, and I sat him down and tried to change his mind. Oh, but really? I could totally understand wanting to have your own gig oh, yeah. and i'm glad he did no, i mean he makes fantastic beer and he's uh he, he's a wonderful asset to the columbus beer community he
0: sure is and i could see why you'd want to be selfish enough to try to keep him but it's great that he's gone off on his own and made something he, of himself
2: he uh helped me make my first kettle sour i probably couldn't have done it without his coaching
0: oh cool yeah and, he said he always keeps a sour on out there have you been to the racino
2: i went there for a beer festival okay but, uh I didn't get to uh, his brew pub. I wanted to, and he said they were on an hour and a half wait. Oh, I wow. thought that's where I'd okay. eat supper. It's an interesting demographic. It's not even the beer festival he had was not a situation where other than the industry people, I saw many people I knew, which yeah. you know, doesn't yeah. happen. After 31 years in this business, I go to a beer festival and I know s- somebody, but sure. they, weren't, they weren't necessarily there for the
1: beer. <laughs> everybody knows you, Angelo. I mean, <laughs> not it, 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 well, not everybody in the world, but in, in Columbus beer circles, if you're at a place where not that many people know you, it, you're drawn from a different audience, I would yeah, say.
2: But it, it's a lovely, and it's fun to watch the horses. Oh, yeah, I enjoyed that, I, too. I, I know my vices, and I don't another So I didn't gamble
1: (laughs) I have enough addictions
0: Oh yeah I went out there With my brother one time Just to go to Brew Brothers And and we had dinner And sat at the bar And had a couple beers And we went back And watched horses I didn't gamble on any But I wanted to check it out It was fun Yeah
1: yeah I've only The food looks great And the beer's always been great Everything he does Oh yeah I mean That actually takes me To a question Coming back to Your Scottish Ale Angelo One of the things that Ryan told us when he was on last month about his Dark Mild, the Toasty, was how he really works hard to keep the attenuation down. So he said it's less than 60% attenuation on that because of a variety of things that he does. Um, and I think that is actually a really important way to get a lot of malt character, especially into a low ABV beer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's the attenuation level on this beer? It's about seventy percent, maybe,
2: maybe sixty five. It's not super attenuated. But on the other hand, this is six point six percent beer, sure. whereas
1: Ryan's uh, Toasty is a three yeah. percent beer, and and you have a different thinking. If you yeah. if you did a 55% attenuation it on... It be, uh, <laughs> be pretty sweet. It would be syrupy. Yeah, yeah. It, would, it would, it would, yeah. Sure. But I think you've hit the quaffability point very well. Well, it's interesting because
2: Barley's, and I'm sure a lot of businesses downtown, are not doing as well as they did before the pandemic. And even compared to last year, our, our sales are down significantly. The last batch of Scottish ale lasted two months, and the one I put on a month ago, there might be some left. It sold twice as fast. And I don't know if we have more business combined with the change in yeah. temperature, but we were dangerously close to running out. But that's fine. I've got a batch ready to put on tap on Tuesday. Fantastic. So that hopefully won't be too big of a hiccup. And hopefully anybody that comes to Barley's tomorrow, if we're out, isn't too disappointed with the
1: other 14 or 15 beers they can <laughs> choose from. <Huh. laughs> Well, I tried to do my part to put a little dent in the <laughs> Thanks, in the Pat. Scottish shake. <laughs> Good job, Pat. Angelo, I know you're you're a connoisseur of whiskey. Is that a fair to say? I enjoy whiskey. I don't know if I, I, I've always got more to learn. Certainly. Do you have any favorites uh, from
2: of the Scottish whiskey? Um, kind of a sad story, but my father and I both liked Scotch in the '90s, and we jokingly had an argument over which we preferred Lagavulin or Laphroaig. They're both Isle Malts, both extremely peaty. And Laphroaig, I I was just kind of being uh, the way you are with your dad, choosing (laughs) something different. And he liked Lagavulin. Lagavulin is certainly much more complex and as much my favorite as any could be. But Laphroaig is always in my liquor cabinet. If you could pause it for a moment. I will go out to my bike and get the tiny spider I have. Out do there. it. Yeah, let's, let's do that. <laughs> let's do that. If you don't mind.
0: Yeah. So Angelo also has for us another. Single Malt Scotch Whiskey, the Glenlivet. Tell us about this, Ange. This is a special bottle.
2: This is the Glenlivet Single Cask Edition Single Malt, aged in a sherry butt. Here we go again with butts. It's cask strength, so 60.8% alcohol by volume. Okay. It's priceless because I think every bottle of this that's ever existed has been pretty much snatched up in Ohio, if not the United States. And it was a gift from my dear friend, Debbie, who... I cannot thank enough for this and try to thank every time I drink it. it. It is a wonderful expression of the sherry quality that you get from aging in a sherry vessel.
0: Yeah, this is nice. Now cheers to Debbie.
2: Cheers. Thank you. When I was in Edinburgh, there was a caddenhead store. Have you seen those?
1: Where do buy so.
2: barrels, wooden barrels of scotch and age it? To their uh, specifications, whatever okay. they see fit, and bottle it at the alcohol level that they, the proof that they see fit. And I brought back a, a few bottles. That was back when you could carry <laughs> yeah. bottles of whiskey <laughs> on an airplane, and, and it it was wonderful. And I've seen Cat and Heads in Chicago, and and uh, it's pricey, but it's fun to get somebody's in, in interpretation of uh, each whiskey.
1: Yeah, cool. I mean, this is special. It's mm-hmm. indulgent. It's wow, so flavorful, Angela. The fruity, grapey sherry flavor
2: is wonderful, but there's that malt, hints of spice. Yeah, the spice really comes through, and it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love it. I'm happy to share it with you too. And and uh, now I have room in my liquor cabinet, Debbie. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hint, hint, (laughs) wink, wink. Well, that's great. I think on that note, let's close out. Okay. Angelo, always a pleasure.
2: Cheers. Cheers. Cheers,
0: my man.